0: you're listening to the creative pep talk podcast this show helps you build a thriving creative career i'm your host andy j pizza you can stay up to date with all things creative pep talk by following me on instagram at andy j pizza let's do this episode announcements. Seriously, super quick. Uh, I'm not going to plug anything here. I'm just going to tell you this is a salty episode. Salty pizza, uh, pepperoni pizza with extra salt on it. Um, <laughs> I, I, the the catalyst to this show was me getting super angry about something. And I wanted to kind of preface that because, uh, first of all, just because I think that's funny, me being angry. And, uh, second of all, because I think that m- more and more I keep hearing and noticing in myself that anger is a great thing to fine tune your creative metal detector for. So like, uh, you're, you, you know, I think the best creative people are people who are kind of Hunter gatherers of their everyday experience, and you're supposed to like. Uh, there's a new podcast. No, maybe it's not a new podcast. It's a. It's new to me. It's called Good One. It's a vulture podcast where they're. It's a. It's all about jokes, and they're talking to uh, Stan at comics. And he always says the host is like. Like uh, talking about how comics have this spidey sense to pick up on, ooh, that's good joke material. And one of the things I've noticed, and one of the things the comics are talking about, is when you get angry, weirdly, that it's a really good metal detector for for it's. For stuff you should make stuff about, and I don't think it's because you should make angry work. It's like not, not everybody has to be Metallica. Not everybody. Has, <laughs> I don't. That's that's what angry art in my brain said Metallica. I don't think everybody has to do that, because you know what I'm about to do now is do a show about something I'm angry about, but hopefully it's going to be uplifting. I think the anger is just such a visceral emotion it's hitting a raw nerve. It's, uh, it's something you're sensitive to. And I think uh, that sensitivity, that visceral, honest, authentic sensitivity, um, is ripe for mining good creative stuff. And it might not manifest in anything angry at all. Uh, but it's just, uh, it's a good thing to look out for when you are get mad about something really mad. Um, it's going to tell you something that you care about. Ooh, there's a You know, there's something that we can look into and and craft and and explore. This is something that means something to me. So that's a little preface. Also, a big shout out to my dog, uh, Woof. Josh Horton. He's the head of uh, Creative Works Conference. He's a buddy of mine. And uh, we were on the phone the other day. When I get on the phone, sometimes something will hit a raw nerve, like some idea, some injustice, some something, and I'll start going off on one about, Oh man, I tell you what really makes me angry. And I, and I just go blah, blah, blah. And I'm talking a million miles per hour. And Josh Horton, this happened uh, the other day when we were on the phone and he's like, you should do like a salty episode where you share some of your fire. Cause you don't, <laughs> you don't show that on the podcast that much. And, uh, I noticed this morning I was getting salty about something and, Uh, And uh, that's what this show is going to be about. So, all right, there's the preface. Thanks, Josh, for the heads up. And if this episode is the worst episode we ever did, you can blame Josh Horton. So that's the other side. If it's the best ever, you can credit me, though, because I'm doing it. Uh, (laughs) All right, let's do it. All right, so why am I angry today? I'll tell you what really grinded my gears this morning when I woke up first thing. Uh, I checked, I, I, I get a lot of my music from the website pitchfork.com. That's how I discover music. And it's a love-hate relationship. I actually, I love Pitchfork because they often are a tool for discovering new things. Like they're hot on uh, what's fresh? What's new? But I don't like them because I think that they're critics uh, in kind of the worst sense of the way. Um, and, I, <laughs> and so, I, you know, I, if you work at Pitchfork, good for you. I, you know, I I love hate you. It's me. Me and you have like Butabi brother. And personal trainer relationship from Night at the Roxbury, where it's that's why we love you and we hate you. And uh, anybody that's a Roxbury fan just friggin' had the best moment, um, which is the 1% of my audience. Uh, if that's you, that's me and you, Butabi brothers. Okay. <clears throat> and you just said to yourself, you talking to me? Me, you, him, me, you? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Anyway, <laughs> off the Roxbury thing. So, Pitchfork, love-hate relationship, uh, you know, the things I hate about them are the way, the things that I hate about the community of critics uh, in term, and how they relate to creative people and and the kind of the messed up things that can happen in that space. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have critics. I'm not, I'm not arguing for that. Uh, I think that in plenty of ways there's space for that there's there's positivity that comes from that you know critique in a space of um especially I think critique with the with the intention to help other people improve is fantastic um and tear down things that need to be torn down like I think that's critique at its best um I'm not I'm not some you know Pollyanna person or who's just like, can't we just be nice to each other? That's not what I'm saying at all. I just think that the way that you as a creative person relate to critics uh, is incredibly important even if you don't think you have any critics. So I'm going to get into that in a minute. But here's what I'm saying. I went to Pitchfork this morning and I saw that they had reviewed the, my, ba- my favorite band's new album. Okay, my favorite band, and you don't have to like them. It's fine if you don't like them. They do it for me, and actually the point of this episode is about doing it for your people. You might not understand it, but my favorite band is the 1975. Okay, It's a British band from Manchester that's like emo... Plus Sigur Ross, plus gospel music, plus R&B. And it just tickles my toes. I, it just does it for me, man. Like, this is my background. Like, got, grew up in the church, uh, very emo, had an emo, a short emo phase. Grew up on R&B, have a deep connection with Sigur Ross. Like, th- we just, it's just like, wow, this thing is made for me, this music. And, um, I was, I just was lucky enough to have an illustration assignment years ago to illustrate about these new, it was for an online magazine and I was covering this story about new music and one of the things that they were covering was, the 1975's first single when it just dropped and I had to do research and I went and like watched the music video and started listening to the song and found the first EP and I was like oh my gosh this is the best thing ever like this is like new emo and I thought emo was you know trash and like you know I'd move I was above emo at the time, and I was like, "Whatever, but they were like reinventing it with all these other things, and uh the front man has all this charisma and the drummer's amazing and i I think he's also the producer, and I was like, "Man, this is so incredible. this little e p and I was convinced like there's nowhere for them to go but down. there's no way they're gonna top this like they've gotten lucky with this single and the sound, and they're just there's just no way they're going to keep it going. And then they released an album and another, and or an EP, another EP, and an album and another album. And every single thing that they released, in my opinion, has topped the previous thing. And I've just been on this roller coaster. This year, they, uh... <laughs> this year they rele- they released five songs from their new album and I've just been eating them up like listening to them over and over again just so obsessed with them can't wait for the album to come out and this review today Pitchfork finally gave them a best new music uh, uh like verified as best new music, which is like a big thing for Pitchfork and a big thing for bands. Like it changes a band's trajectory in all kinds of ways because a lot of people care about what Pitchfork thinks. And I, at first, my first response was like, yeah, finally, you wake up to the fact that this is the best band making music today. And, uh, you know, you could look past the some of the veneer of emo and or whatever it is and realize like, These dudes have got it. And I was celebrating for a minute, but then that saltiness started to creep in. I started to get angry. And here's why. Because this happened to me in the past, actually, with a band called Passion Pit. And, you know, Passion Pit 1975, what I like about them, and by the way, this is all relevant to the episode, even if you don't give a darn tootin' about the music I listen to, or you don't like it, or you disagree, or whatever. You might be way cooler than me. You might have way worse music taste than me. I don't care what it is, but <laughs> there's a point to all this. Anyway, stick with me. Passion Pit, they did the same thing to Passion Pit, where, um, you know, both these bands, in my opinion, uh, have really straddled that super tricky balance of accessibility like being poppy and being artful being artistic and i that's my my taste is that like i want i want the most accessible like it's really working like it's really fits and it's doing what music or tv or movies is supposed to do to you like on a visceral level it's just clicking but it's also inventive innovative new fresh like i like Things that can straddle that balance, I think that's the hardest thing to do in creativity. It's the most impressive to me. It's easy to make an indie film that's like so wacky and weird and unexpected and breaks all the rules, but it doesn't actually move you. It doesn't actually like touch you. It doesn't actually um, do any of the things that movies are supposed to do or, 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 you know, great movies can do to you. And it's easy to be a formulaic movie that is doing all of the tricks in the book that, you know, use strings at the right time to make your eyes water and, you know, just do what we already know works. It's easy to do either of those. What's hard to do is find that tricky place of fitting in and standing out at the same time, being amazing at your craft and all the while not leaning on it as a crutch of, you know, just trying to impress people with your technique. Like, anyway, that's what I love. And I think Passion Pit in 1975, especially 1975, do this really well. And here's what I realized that made me angry. (laughs) It was this. I have a strong feeling that the reason why Pitchfork gave it Best New Music is very closely related to the fact that in the interview they did with him, Uh, the lead singer of the band last week, he admits to have had an addiction to heroin and he had to go to rehab and all that stuff. And I have a strong feeling that that influenced the way that they viewed their music. Like, ooh, these guys are real messed up and that must mean it's good. That must mean it's deeper than we thought it was. Like this guy's got heroin addiction. And like I told you, I don't know, 7 years ago, Passion Pit, another band that they've kind of uh slept on or 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 whatever, they did a big article with him about having to be um having to be committed to uh to, I don't know why the word is escaping me. <laughs> I, I'm sure you're at home, like, what? Committed to what? A marriage? Uh, an adult? Uh, uh, an an adulteration? <laughs> what are these words that are coming out of my mouth? Committed to a hospital because of his mental health, okay? Uh, and, and they were like, ooh. It's getting good and they have their popcorn box and they're eating the popcorn, you know, like that gif of John Stewart, Stewart or that gif of Michael Jackson eating the popcorn. Like, ooh, look at this show. It's just getting juicy now. And the album that uh, is released after he had been committed to a hospital is Best New Music. It's their only one that had got Best New Music. And why does that make me angry? It makes me angry because it hurts creative people, it perpetuates toxic, creative mythology that says in order for you to be worthy, in order for you to make your best work, in order for you to be interesting, you have to be messed up. And I didn't want to use messed up, but I like to keep it clean here on the show for the kids' sake so that, you know, stay-at-home dads and stay-at-home moms can listen to it around their kids but I'm actually pretty angry about it because it's stuff like this that just drives me bonkers because here's the thing. These, these best new music albums, I can guarantee these albums are not better than their other albums. What's better? Not the creativity, but the show. Things are getting juicy. And when I was, a, when I was in middle school, I'm going to take you on a little a little tour, uh, a little side side road for a minute. When I was in middle school, I moved in the middle of the year. I moved from Indiana to Western New York. I went to school in Jamestown, New York. And I, you know, the first couple months I was making some friends. I actually liked the school right from the get go because it was really small and tight knit. And I met some friends and it was, everything was going fine uh, but about three months into being there, I was walking down the hall in front of uh, this girl who was, like, kind of like a mean girl. And her friend, who was the most popular kid in sixth grade, she was, like, it, apparently. And I didn't even really know that at the time, but I found out later, like, she was number one in the world of this school as the coolest girl in school. And the mean girl, and I didn't really know her that much, didn't know she was a mean girl, (laughs) shouted up to me and asked me if I wanted to be the coolest girl's boyfriend. And the way that she asked it made it sound like the cool girl had put her up to the task. And at the time, I was not popular, not that cool, you know, whatever. I just thought, man, the cool girl just sees some potential in me that I don't even see in myself that no one else sees. And I'm down, ski diddle to do this. And I said, all right, yes, I, yes, okay, I'll be her boyfriend. That afternoon, my entire three years in Jamestown Uh, It was like a butterfly effect that sent me on a new path, and I kid you not, in a matter of 30 minutes, my entire world changed. I got Best New Music from Pitchfork, the equivalent of that for middle school. The coolest girl in school was dating me. And by dating, I mean not looking at each other, sometimes call each other on the phone, not talking, Never really seeing or talking to each other, that's what sixth grade dating was like, but i was I was in, and everybody in that school started to treat me completely differently, and it lasted for three or four years, like I was cool the rest of the time that I lived in Jamestown because of that best new music, because of that verification from this girl, only to find out later. That the mean girl had asked me without her permission. And it was a prank. It was a joke. The cool girl actually didn't want to be my girlfriend. And she was actually so nice that she didn't want to break my heart and say, actually, I wasn't really asking. So, why do I tell you that ridiculous story? I tell you that because that mean girl didn't want that. She wanted a tragedy, not a comedy. So, you know, I don't mean a comedy like a funny movie. I mean in the traditional sense of storytelling. Tragedy is a a bad ending. Comedy is a happy ending. That's what the original form of comedy meant. She was not happy. She was not... uh, When she had asked me that question, she had her popcorn in hand... Ready for the juicy, gory tragedy to unfold, right? She was being a bully. She was like, oh, now the show's getting good. And she was actually disappointed that her friend went along with it to save me. I didn't find out that until way later. And I want you to know that there are two people that you can please with your creativity there are your audience the people that the work is for, the people that you want to make an impact on, and then there are the critics. And I would argue that you cannot attempt to serve both of them. And actually, if you attempt to serve the critics, you can probably guarantee that you will uh, isolate your audience. And if you attempt to impact your audience, Sometimes the critics might like it and sometimes they might hate it. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Andy, I don't have any critics. Nobody's even looking at my work. Nobody's writing articles about it. There is no best new music. Like, I, wh- how could I possibly be distracted by the critics? Well, even if you're not being actively critiqued, I would argue that you taking on board the world's opinion, the critical world's opinion about what it is you do, design, music, journalism, whatever it is, if you are reading all the critics and pandering to their opinions, whether they're writing about you or not, that it's a distraction. Now, I want to go deeper into this little idea uh, in the new year. I have some a series planned, but I just want to hint at it right now because I think it gets to something often in the creative world. There's a lot of talk about like, don't even think about the way that work interacts with, with an audience whatsoever. And actually I'm not of that opinion. I think that's a, that's a maybe a black and white way of looking at it. That doesn't really get to the, to the heart of the matter. Uh, and, and, and at the same time, a lot of people would say, if you're a creative person, don't sit around worrying about how things are going to be received or, or whether you're going to be successful or whatever. And actually, again, I think that, um, that's simplistic and short sighted. And the fact of the matter is, I think you should be shooting for work that resonates in such a way that you can build a thriving career on it. And I think you can balance that, uh, in a simple form. And here it is when you're thinking about resonating, I think you need to think about who does it resonate with and why, and here's the way that I want you to categorize this. I think you should shoot for, uh, resonating with your work. But I think you should resonate on the frequency of impact, not glory. They're both resonating. Now, glory is pandering to critics. Glory is, I want to be celebrated as amazing. I want to be celebrated by the people who matter. I want to be, and and it's about you. It's about you verifying you. It's about you saying, I'm worthy. But instead, there's another way of resonating with a lot of people, and it's called impact. It's called making a difference. It's called making work that matters regardless of what the critics say. And, be, and, and making work that resonates with impact isn't about you. It's about your audience. It's about... Making it's about touching them, it's about moving them, it's about connecting with them on a deep level, regardless of what the critics say about it. And I would suggest that you would concern yourself more with the audience score than the critic score if we're talking Rotten Tomatoes. Now, uh, I want to explain, uh, we're going to go to that into the future. We're going to talk more about the glory versus impact thing, but. For now, what this episode is about is about taking care of yourself. It's about not believing the garbage. If you pander to the critics, they're going to, what they want, they're the the mean girl. They They want a juicy, tragic show because it's fun for them to sit back and watch. They don't give a crap about you. They don't give a crap about the fact that if it's too juicy of a show... You might not go on to create another day. And that happens to too many creative people. And I'm afraid that so many creative people think that their worst selves, their struggles, their demons, allowing those things to be unsolved and be unhelped is actually going to equal better work. And it makes me so angry that critics perpetuate this kind of stuff by only awarding best new music to people that are living in tragedy. And so I'm going to encourage you, this episode, I'm going to tell you four areas real quick where you can better yourself, be a healthier version of yourself, not so you can live to have glory, but so you can have the biggest impact. Let's do it. Okay, so here's my thesis. You at your best. Is going to allow you to make the biggest, widest, longest impact that you can possibly make. And I believe that with my heart. I don't think the critics believe that. But I believe that if you, the better you get, the more you improve yourself, the more you take care of yourself, uh, the, the more you educate yourself, all that. The more, the better you are, the bigger your impact with your life. The, the longer you're going to stay on this earth the longer, uh, the more efficient you're going to be, the more disciplined and, and, uh, productive you're going to be. And I highly, I want to, I made this episode just to put us, uh, put a stake in the ground and say, look, I strongly disagree. I, and even if you disagree, you, if you are still playing by the critics rules, you might be, um, you might be not agreeing. You might be, hurting yourself without realizing it. Okay. So there's four areas of your life that I think you need to tend to, to be your best self. And I have some tactics on things that have helped me, uh, self-improve over the past 10 years and be in the best creative shape Of my life. Uh, So, number one, mental health, mind, your mind, taking care of your mind. Now, I'm not gonna make a bunch of uh, broad sweeping statements about the best way to take care of your mind. I have been really open about my mental health on this show. Uh, I have ADHD, okay? I don't take medicine for it right now. And that doesn't mean that if you have ADHD or you have ADD or whatever you have, that you shouldn't medicate. And in fact, there were times when I did medicate. Uh, and, And I want you to take away from this not whether you should medicate or not or how you should handle your mental health, but... I want to encourage you that you gain self-awareness. That's the main thing that I encourage you to do in regards to mental health. Know what's going on in there, whether that's therapy, research, uh, counseling, working it through with people around you. There's a lot of different... Do whatever you have to do to get to the bottom of how does your mind work? What's going on in there? What's the full picture? Because I think the key to... The start, the foundation of a healthy mind comes from being honest, being self aware, not being afraid to peek behind the curtain. And one of the things that uh, I'm a big believer in rep- the fact that repression and uh, lying to yourself is detrimental to your future. And I think there are all kinds of social structures and norms and, and all this kind of stuff that keep us hiding our true selves from ourselves. And I just highly encourage you to take stock, do an audit. If you haven't, if you don't know what's going on with your mental health, even though I don't currently take medicine for ADHD, doing the work about seven or eight years ago, I, you know, I'd thought I'd had, uh, ADHD since I was in high school, but I didn't really ever do anything about it. I just ignored it, kept it in the darkness, didn't want to deal with it, didn't want to think about it. Uh, you know, there was part of me that kind of was afraid that if I had got diagnosed that I'd use it as a crutch, that the more knowledge I had about it, the more it would hurt me. And in fact, although I think you can be unhealthy with that and and all that stuff for me, Taking stock, taking an audit, understanding it meant that I was able to actively deal with something. You know, I heard uh, Pete Rollins, who's like a theologian, say that however you feel, I don't, I'm not this, I could derail this real quick by t- getting um, into the politics of this minute, uh, but however you feel about the current politics of what's going on right now, uh, Pete Rollins said, even if you feel like this is the darkest hour the truth is this is a revelation like this is a revelation because th- this is this is not an illness that's reared its head this is the symptoms of an illness that already existed the the current political climate isn't oh everything's gone bad it's this is a result of everything that was bad. By the way that this stuff has played out, we're able to see uh, where the truth has been revealed to us of the state of America, the state of the world, the state of how people are feeling. And these the people we elect, it's indicative, it's a symptom of what's going on. And now that it's been revealed, we can deal with it head on. And so it's actually a revelation. The same goes for your mental health. You, the more you ignore it, the more you brush it under the rug, the more you repress it, the, the less you are able to actively deal with it. And so I encourage you to, uh, I encourage you to, Face that dog that's barking in the back of your mind. You hear that dog? That's a dog effect that I'm putting on right now. No, that's just a real dog barking at me. Uh, (laughs) But that, it's a sign. There's a nagging thing, mental health thing. You thought, maybe I need to get that checked out. Maybe I need to look into that. Maybe I, do it. Because the more I knew about ADHD, the more I could grapple with it. And at first it was kind of just depressing. And it, and it, and it, you know, it was a crutch and it was something, but eventually I started to realize, well, if you have ADHD, this is what works for people like that. You need to get your diet in order. You need to get moving. You need to, you need to have, uh, there's a billion things. I, there's so many ways that I'm healthier as a person with ADHD than I, than I was 10 years ago. And also the people in my life, the relatives, the, the people that I know that I got this from. Uh, that don't know it, aren't self-aware, have made a lifelong mistakes, lifelong mishandling with their disorder that has caused them to do a bunch of things that hurt them. So I highly suggest self-awareness when it comes to the state of your mind. I think that's the beginning. And then how you end up dealing with it is going to determine, is going to have a, there's a lot of factors that go into that. It's not cut and dry. There isn't one size fits all. This isn't a stretchy new balance hat, new, new era hat. Uh, Anyway. All right. Number two heart, your heart, your emotions. If there's one thing I know about, uh, creative people, it's that lots of them are emotional. Like they, I know the truth about you. You go into the meeting, you do your presentation and you're like, I'm very professional. And then you go out to your car and you cry your eyes out like they didn't like me. Yes, I know it. And then you go eat three bags of tortilla chips and uh, Gordo's queso, right? I've been there. And if you don't think I've been there, how do I know the specific name of that queso? I get it. Like I am so emotional and my emotions for the first half of my life completely decided everything about me and I thought I was my emotions and the people in my life that I see that are extremely emotional and let the emotions take the wheel, their lives get wrecked. And so here's what I want to say. About emotions and how I think you can get a healthier relationship to them that will help you win as a creative person and make the biggest impact you can make. I think that you have to A, yeah, realize you are not your emotions. You can be honest about your emotions. I don't think you should repress them. I think you should be aware of them, but I think you should know that they are subservient to your consciousness. Uh, You don't have to do what you feel like doing. And I think that I, I've said it like this in the past. Your emotions are a light on your dashboard of your car. Now, sometimes you see a little a light go off. I'm, a, I'm not a car person. I don't know anything about cars. Uh, and sometimes that light goes up on my dashboard and I'm like... Oh, it looks like there's a flying saucer in my en- en- engine. I better go look for that. And I open up and I'm like, no, it looks like a regular engine. Don't see any flying saucers. But it's because I don't know anything about cars. I never opened the manual. And the only thing I can do is get familiar with what does that lo- that little flying saucer. It just means you need to air up one of your tires. Okay? There's no aliens. Don't panic. Sometimes you start feeling a feeling. And you're like, oh, man. Oh, I'm getting anxious. I'm getting... Oh, I got to stop doing this. Why, why am I doing this? Or, you you know, you start just, everybody hates me. What's it? No. Get in the manual. Re- familiarize yourself. When I'm feeling like this, it. I know it feels like you want to give up art and you never want to see another human soul when really that engine light just means you need a little alone time and you haven't had any for six days you, 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 once you understand those engine lights, you can actually do the simple thing that is required to fix it. And sometimes it's not a simple thing, but the more you are aware of your engine, your emotional engine lights, the more you can, uh, work with your emotions and not let them control you. Because if you don't, I just want to say this real quick part of the reason I did this episode was because uh, Andy 10 years ago was infinitely more of a mess in these four areas than I am today. And I still got a lot of work to do, but I want you to know that getting progress in all four of these areas has dramatically increased my productivity, dramatically increased my success as a creative, both in terms of creativity and business. And there are things that are kind of a weird thing in a way to talk about on a creative business podcast, but they are deal breakers. Okay. So emotions and, and, and emotion. The reason I say that about emotions in that category is because this is a big one for creative people. Lots of creative people get thrown off their path, get destroyed because they don't get a healthy relationship with their emotions. They let them control them. They think that they are their emotions and it ruins their life. And actually, um, I'm not going to go into specifics just because I do that too often and I want to leave some dignity for some of the people around me, but people that are really, really close to me, creative people just like me, this was their downfall, believing everything they felt. Number three, spirit. We're going to get spiritual taking you to church on the podcast. Just kidding. Please don't turn it off. Uh... (laughs) We are going to talk about spirit because number three is spiritual, and I'm not going to give you any suggestions about how you should go about your spiritual life in terms of which religion or theology or whatever that you should subscribe to. Actually, I think quantum physics is a great spirituality. It's a great way of understanding uh, these big questions, but the reason why I'm telling you that you need to get your spirit life in order, whether you believe in your spirit or not, uh Or whatever the spirit means. The spirit might be just part of your brain. Like, you know, a way of thinking about a part of your consciousness. I don't give a toot about what you think about (laughs) what is spirit. Here's a fact. Humans have this consciousness. And one of the perks and curses of consciousness is that we're existential. We think about why. Why? Why? Why are we here why are we doing this why is this happen why is suffering why this why that and if you don't if you leave why that question that existential question in the shadows and you refuse to grapple with it in your spirit with your spiritual life if you refuse to get answers to those questions that uh, turn that spirit side of you in uh If you refuse to get answers about that, it will be a mechanism that holds you back. The thing about uh, a a beautiful spirit life for me is that it becomes the engine. Once you get it up and running, once you tend to it, once you care for it, once you uh, excite it and light it on fire, it will be your number one renewable energy. It will be your turbocharger. If you get your spirit life... In order, it will be your nitrous, baby. You'll be flipping on the switch faster than Vin Diesel. But if you don't, it will be the thing that tears your engine apart because there'll be days when you can't get out of bed, right? So my encouragement to you, is that you would embrace the fact that you have a spirit whether I don't care what you call it I don't care if you just think it's part of your brain but that existential part that part that begs why maybe the system that you're in the system you're believing in right now the thing you were brought up for maybe it's not letting that it's not answering those why's and I would encourage you to get on the road and go get some answers that start turning that curse into a blessing because it's your biggest well of strength. If you can get it, if you can tend to it, if you can care for it. For me personally, one of the biggest, uh, spiritual takeaways from, uh, my upbringing and and from my experience is that uh, it comes from the Bible. And I, and I don't say it like that to be like, so, you know, it's good. I actually mean, I don't mean that at all tons of stuff in the Bible. I'm not going to go into it. I'm going to get in trouble. Here's what I'm going to say. There's a, there's a line from the Bible that says, uh, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. This is something that my spiritual life has taught me and it's allowed me to simplify my life. I live a really spirit, simple spiritual life, simple life in terms of what I allow myself to do, what I allow myself to think, what I allow myself to uh, participate in because of that line. And I believe it, it gives me zero judgment for myself, zero judgment for anybody else. Everything's permissible. You can do literally whatever you want without judgment, but, but does everything you want to do benefit you? And that's how you make decisions. That's that's a spiritual principle that helps me make decisions. It means anything you're interested in doing, you are totally allowed to do it. But not everything you want to do is actually going to help you long term. And that's how you're going to make decisions. And I learned that from my spiritual practice. I highly recommend it. I don't care if your spiritual practice is a scientific practice. I just encourage you to do it. I have a friend, Meg Lewis. She talks about, you know, her spiritual practice. I've heard her talk about how, uh, and actually Draplin, Aaron Draplin said the same thing. Jerry Seinfeld said the same thing. They all smart people. Good crowd right here. They all said that thinking that they are just a pinpoint in this ginormous, infinite universe that makes them inconsequential, alleviates their existential dread, and it makes them, it fires them up to keep going. And that does the, that idea does the opposite to me. And I don't, I don't, I'm not judging it. It works for them, but I I don't ignore that question. If you have a strong why, you know Simon Sinek, his book Start with Why. This is there's a lot to this. If you get that why, if you don't ignore it, if you tend to it, if you care for it, and and that sometimes means being brave and saying the way that I was taught to deal with that why in my culture, my spiritual home, I'm going to do a pilgrimage away from it because it's not doing it for me. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to go find answers. That light you up so you can be the healthiest you and make the biggest impact you can make. Number four, last one, body, your body. Ooh, oh snap. This is a dicey episode. Hey, Josh Horton, you're going to get me in trouble by doing this salty episode. Now we're going to talk about body health. Being the healthiest you on a physical body level is going to be the best thing that you can do for your creativity. And I know that we uh, all have different bodies. We all have different struggles. We all have different possibilities with what we can do with our bodies. Um, and I get it. And that's fine. And, and I all I'm encouraging you to do is to, the there's part of your body's health that you are in control of uh, in terms of taking care of it. And there's part of it that's not. I'm just talking about the part that you have some influence over, and I highly, highly recommend that you do whatever you can to be the healthiest you you can be. And I have tons of work to do on this. I do not exercise enough. And That's a big problem for me. I think I can even just feel it in my body that from sitting too much and uh, not getting enough exercise that. I'm really hurting myself. You know, I've, I have uh, lost a lot of weight and I've done it with a diet and it would have been healthier to do it with diet and exercise. And I can feel some of the repercussions of that. But ultimately that diet put me in a better place than I was four years ago. Okay. Um, and here's my recommendation. I'm not going to just tell you what, what would drive me nuts is 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 someone saying you need to get in good shape. And you're like, yeah, I know. It's just like that thing of, I want to be in good shape, but what do I do? And they're like, uh, eat, be, eat good, eat the right stuff, and exercise. And you're like, no, it's not a case of not knowing what to do. It's knowing how to get yourself to do it, to do what you need to do. That's you, what that—that's the revelation you're looking for, right? I'll give you some things that really, really help me in this area because I don't think it's as simple as willpower. I don't think it's as simple as do the stuff you're supposed to do you frigging idiot or you're a moron. No, I don't think that's true at all. Okay. I think that I'm going to tell you uh, one thing that has dramatically changed my ability to change my habits. And I think your body health, it's all about habits and habits are tricky. If you've ever tried to change a habit, you know, it's Not easy. And I have changed some habits. When I was in high school, I was a druggie. Uh and when I and I was a chain smoker for five or six years. Uh I haven't smoked in over ten years. Nothing. Haven't smoked anything. Uh I used to be a binge eater. Uh and I have plenty of other things, right? Um I've spent time even being a runner, even though I'm not a runner right now. So I know a lot about habit change. Uh, Over the past four years, I lost 60 or 70 pounds from changing my diet. So I've learned some things about habit change. And the thing I will tell you is I'm not going to tell you how I did it because that is not the key. The key is knowing how you need to do it. And here's, there's uh, Gretchen Rubin. She... I, need, I wish I had a podcast producer. You know, in the middle of the podcast, they'll be like, hey, uh, Ricky, look up this thing. Um, <laughs> Gretchen Rubin has, a, uh, has this idea and she talks about it in her book and it's called The Four... I want to make sure I say it right. The Four Tendencies. The Four Tendencies. And it's about the different types of people that exist and understanding your which tendency you have is going to be the key to unlocking how to change your habits because what works for the number one tendency is the opposite of wor- what works for the number four tendency so I highly recommend you if you're struggling with a habit that you can't kick or change I highly recommend you go check out the four tendencies by Gretchen Rubin and here's why I think about it like there are four types of kids that are in your head. You've got a kid, a child in your head. It wants to do what it wants to do. It wants to do what it already knows it likes to do. If it likes to, you know, eat junk food. If it likes to do uh, binge watch TV. If it likes to sit on the bo- their their booty all day. Like it want. That there's a part of your brain uh, that wants to do what it wants to do, and then there's a higher part of your brain that has this executive function that's supposed to be able to tell that kid what it's going to do. But if you're like me, you know, it doesn't always work like that. Like often the kid wins the battle. And for me, as a parent, I've got three kids and I've learned that the motivation, what motivates and incentivizes and, and the consequences that get my kids doing what they need to do is different from kid to kid. If I tell my son that uh, you can play on your Nintendo Switch in the morning before school if you get every single thing done, he will do it in five seconds. And if I don't tell him that, he will barely do it at all. And the same goes for my my daughter. She might need the list just written out. Just having a list and knowing that there's a list to check, that motivates her. She just likes completing lists. There is a kid in your brain, and there are ways of outsmarting them. That part of your brain is a lower-functioning lizard-monkey side of your brain. I don't know which part it is, but it's a a lower-functioning animal side. And your big, big human brain, the part of you that is... Why humans are so special is actually smarter than it. You just have to know what works. And the same went for my eating habits. The same went for my smoking. The same went for my drug habits. The same goes for my exercise that I'm working on now. And you've just got to figure out what works. How do I trick them? Not willpower it. Not brute force it. Not shame myself into doing what I know I need to do. I just can. You will be able to outsmart it. And so, uh figure out what incentives, what consequences, what uh what motivates that kid in your brain. And I want to say uh one more thing on the body front or any of these actually actually uh, what I want to tell you is there's a book called The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan and this the idea is that there what that if you can find the one thing that you need to focus on, Right now, and fix and finish, that will change everything that it will uh, it will completely change your life. so for me, and the way they explain it is there's a domino in your life right now that if you knock it over, it will knock over a domino twice its size and that domino will knock over a domino twice its size and this actually works in physics like if you knock over a domino and and you set it up so each next one is twice the previous one's size one domino can knock over a door in like 10 steps and so what is the thing in your life that if you changed it everything else would be fixed or easier? For me Three years ago, it was my diet. And I, I don't want to talk about it, guys, but I am talking about it because I love you. <laughs> I don't want to talk about I don't like thinking about when I was way more unhealthy, I don't like you thinking about me. My ego doesn't like that. When I'm thinking, think about me today. I look a lot healthier. I'm, I'm you know, I, I have a healthier, I, I'm less depraved in, in my habits. Like, I don't really want to admit it. I don't really want to talk about it, but I'm doing it uh, because it was a big thing for me. And I read the one thing at that time. I, ha- I was introduced to this concept and I knew that it was my eating habits. That would change everything if I could get my body in better shape, just not even just physically the way it looks, but how it functions, that I would be less tired, that I'd be more productive, that I would be less moody, I'd be a better parent, I'd have more time and energy to and my mind would be less foggy instead of, you know, having all this crazy gluten in the middle of the day that then gives me gluten fog brain and it hurts my creativity. And I realize like if I can get this one thing fixed, my whole life is going to level up. And so I encourage you to say, what is it? Is it your mind? Is it your mental health? Is it your emotions? Is it your heart? Is it your spirit? Is it your existential? Uh, why that, that's bugging you? Or is it your body? Which of these four things is your one thing that you need to be thinking about and working on in the next couple months as we enter the new year because I encourage you it's not impossible. It's not about shame. It's not about judgment. It's not about uh, anything not being permissible. It's about what's going to be beneficial for you and how are you going to outsmart this thing because with self-awareness and tactics and focus you can Change and upgrade and improve these things. And when you do, it will enable the biggest possible impact that you can make while you're here on planet Earth. All right, I'm going to tell you one last trick and then I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to go back to Mia as a kid at school. One last trick is you need to update your models, okay? You need to update how you see yourself by finding people like you that are living better in one of these areas than you. Whatever it is, whichever these four things you need to focus on, I encourage you to find someone who's just like you doing better in that area and figure out how they're doing it. And, and the main thing I want to say to you is if you're an egg and, uh, your parents were bad eggs, and your your parents, the all that really happened to their parents was society threw them at houses. The all that they were <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. The all that they were were eggs used to egg house. Like and that in your mind is like that's all the eggs are. Like that that's what eggs are for. People like you, people that are eggs, what Happens to eggs as they get thrown at houses. Like, that's their highest calling. But then you figure out, wait a second, some eggs get scrambled, and it's beautiful, and it's delicious. Some eggs, they get fried. Delicious fried eggs. Some eggs get, uh, uh, get, uh, get, what's the word? My words today. Some eggs get, they're boiled without the shell on them. I know you guys are all sitting there being like, Andy, I know what, poached, <laughs> poached eggs. Uh, some of them are poached and they're delicious and they're healthy and they're flavorful and they're delicious with avocados on toast. And then some, you can even turn an egg into a souffle, real fancy. And all of a sudden you start sounding like Bubba from Forrest Gump about eggs. You can fry it, you can, you know, shrimp cocktail, shrimp scampi. And once you know these eggs, All the more possible as you find out, you realize the possibilities are actually infinite for eggs. And whether you're an egg or a shrimp, your raw material, the things you're dealing with, the the way that you are functioning in these four areas, it's not set in stone. There's more than one way to cook an egg. And there's more than one way for someone like you with the DNA like you to exist and thrive. You don't have to fail in these areas, even if your models that you have of that, of of being like you are failing. So I want you to update your models, go check out. The more that you can see yourself in people uh, that are thriving beyond you, the more you will open your mind to those infinite possibilities. Okay. So I want you to know, you know, I've even thought about creating awards for impact and not glory for this work means something. This work matters, not this work is, uh, impressive, like trying to, I don't want to do that. It's in, it's in the back pocket, so to speak, to create a system of awards that measures impact uh, in terms of depth and not necessarily in width and, uh, and measures it in meaning instead of being impressive. And I want you to know that when it comes to the critics, I'm your biggest fan. I am here rooting for you to be the best you. To be on this planet as long as you can be at the top performance so that you can have the biggest impact you can have in a way that fulfills you and excites you and touches your audience. And so while there's, there's a lot of critics out there ready to grab their popcorn, they don't care about your art. They just want you to put on a good show and preferably a tragedy. So you think about how much you know Critics are so much more enthusiastic about tragedies. They love a movie that ends with tragedy, right? But your fans, they want a comedy. They want to see you grow. They want to see you uh, expand and get better and learn. Those are the people that I want you to connect with. And I learned this lesson the hard way. So when I was in middle school, I became the coolest cat in school because of my accidental girlfriend. And then when I moved to Indiana, back to Indiana to a new school, I wanted to relive it. How could I replay this? Is there any way that we can get another mean girl to to fake ask me out for her friend? But I couldn't because it was totally random. There was no, I wasn't in control of that happening. I was just kind of an average dude. And I was devastated and I desperately tried to relive that. How can I get to be number one? How can I be the coolest? Because it was such a fun ride to have all the people think you're super cool. Who doesn't like that? And I spent the first three out of the four years of high school doing that, miserable, trying to find that glory. And it wasn't until I gave up on it, until I quit trying to please the critics, quit trying to be cool, that actually became pretty popular. And I think there's, there's a difference there. Being cool, like the really super cool kids that were like, those are the number one kids in school, nobody actually liked them. And trying to be like that meant that nobody actually liked me. But when I started to be myself and make real deep connections with people, my impact changed. And actually, the last year of school, I think I was probably the most popular I ever was. And now this isn't about popularity. It's not about po- following It's about you living your best life, making your best creativity, being the healthiest you can be, and I hope this episode, this salty pizza episode, is a real encouragement to you to quit, whether you have critics commenting on you or not, to quit sitting around, pandering to them, worried about what they're going to think, and start worrying about you being the best you can be. Okay, I hope you guys like salty pizza. Uh, I could have got more angry. I am seriously angry about this. I get so angry when uh, critics perpetuate ideas that harm creative people. Yeah, it it makes me really angry. Um, And I don't want you to fall into that trap. So I hope this helps you. I hope it gives you lots of tools in your tool belt to um, be the best you because uh, I am rooting for that thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music thanks to Alex Sug, Suggy Buggy as he is in my phone whether he likes it or not uh, thanks for providing this sweet soundtrack and making this show sound beautiful thanks to all you guys for listening and until we speak again stay pepped up